through 11. The words of the congregant, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Utter hollowness, says congregant. Utter hollowness, everything is hollow. What value is there for a person in all the labor that he undertakes under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes. The earth stands permanently. The sun rises and the sun sets and rushes to its place where it rises. The wind goes to the south and turns round to the north. It turns, turns as it goes. And on its turnings, the wind goes back. All the waities go to the sea, but the sea isn't full. To the place where the waities go, there they go again. All the things that are laborious, no one could speak of it. The eye isn't replete as it regards looking. The ear isn't full as it regards listening. What has happened and what is will happen, and what has occurred is what will occur. There's nothing new under the sun. Where there is a, a thing that someone says, see, this is new, already it has happened for ages that were before us. There is no commendation uh, for the earlier people, and so also for the future people who are to come. For them, there will be no commendation, and with the people who will be in the future. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly today. Shelby, I'll hold your Bible for a second. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Um, utter hollowness, utter hollowness, everything is hollow. Vapor, vapor, everything is vapor. These are all uh, valid translations for that first part, which Shelby just read for us from the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a book, uh, I think you'd borrowed mine and then you bought your own. This is a translation called the First Testament um, by Old Testament scholar at Fuller, I believe, if he's still there. Uh, yep, at Fuller Seminary, um, in which he uh, did the whole thing by himself. But he's a very, very sharp Hebrew scholar. But one of the benefits of having this translation is it takes the things that you're so familiar with hearing and makes them odd again. So I, I reviewed it this week as we were getting through it. But as, as, as Shelby found out, um, there are Hebrew words that he keeps more Hebrew than we're used to, like Jerusalem and uh, uh, where was the other, the wadis, which I'm, I meant to look that up. Uh, the, waters. the waters, that's what it means. Um, uh, but that's where we are today, as we're people who hear meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Thanks be to God. Um, I should say that's where we'll be for 12 weeks. Um, uh, and the challenges that come with that. Meaningless, meaningless, utter meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This is these first... 11 verses that make up the book of Proverbs, that make up this challenging place. And, and when we've tried to sort of look at um, the wisdom literature in the past couple of summers. So we started with last summer with Proverbs, uh, and then this summer we're doing Ecclesiastes. Next summer we're doing Job, and then we can all pray Jesus returns before the final summer in which we do Song of Songs. Um, and Song of Songs is... Um, not always placed in the wisdom literature tradition. People struggle with, with where to place that, but there is a, a placement for it. But um, one of the ways in which we've, this is the way it appears in, in, Prover, or in Ecclesiastes, is fear 
God and keep his commandments. Uh, we have a banner that's not up yet this Sunday that Chris made. Uh, we'll get it up for next week. But uh, it was in Psalm 111 that Shelley read for us today that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this is that notion of what is wisdom. It's, it comes from this fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And last summer we looked at that in the book of Proverbs. Is what does it mean to fear the Lord in this, in this sort of ordered way? And then how does that keep us away from the temptations that come? One of the things that I learned last summer was about how much of that first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs is these lectures about avoiding folly so that you might go to wisdom. And folly is amazing because it's like our world. Folly comes from the appetite, comes from the lust, and, and it comes from friends. Um, and so the Father's lectures are, are about these warnings about these ways in which we can fall into folly because of those things. And then we looked at the last um, two-thirds of the book through the idea of what is the seven deadly sins or the seven, the seven highest sins or, or however you want to phrase it, and then a different Sunday on what are the seven virtues and how those short sayings point us away from, from that which is um, one of the sins and how those short sayings point us towards that which is virtuous too. Um, and it existed in that, that sort of well-ordered universe. Uh, this is the slide. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Songs. Um, that sort of walks us through that. And Proverbs exists in this very well-ordered universe. A lot of Proverbs, in, in, there are exemptions within it, but there's a lot of Proverbs where it, it tends to read as if you do X, you will receive Y. It's very ordered in that way. And so it's this idea, and, and what Proverbs does is it says there's this world in which it works most of the time. That if you want to live your life chasing and robbing and stealing and doing all these things, that you will end up with very little and not surrounded by friends and lost in the world. But if you aim high, if you seek after the virtues, if you aim to act in an ordered way within this creation, things will work out for you. And that is true even in our world most of the time. But sometimes the script fails. Now, for instance, for my generation, the, the deal we made with culture was go to college, get your degree, come out, you'll have a job, you'll make good money, you'll retire around, I don't know, 65 is that the retirement age? Yeah, give or take 10 years. Um, and that that's the way the world works. And yet what happened for many of my generation is when they finished college, even if they chose better majors than worse majors, the script had failed. The jobs weren't there the way they were said to be, that this, that, and the other. And that caused a tailspin. And what's, what's comically sad or interesting to me is that many of them are real estate agents today, which I just can't quite nail why that is. You majored in business or something else, and the best place to end up was a real estate agent. Um, I don't know if others my age have peers where it's like, you know, if you went to uh, your high school reunion, it seems like half of them would be like, I'm a real estate agent for some odd reason, because the script had failed in that way. Ecclesiastes is, is the book that takes up what happens when the script fails. We'll talk about that as we go forward. One of the challenges that I placed us in from last summer, this is a little bit of review, is that so often we read scripture in this, um, like we read every other book, beginning to end, um, and there's one plot, one story, one thing that goes all the way from the beginning to end. 
What I proposed last summer, because, and this is part of the problem, is where does a book like Ecclesiastes fit into that one story? It's like counter-testimony to the main story of most of the Old Testament. It's telling you the opposite. Where, do, where does a book like Proverbs even fit into that? Because Proverbs has its own way of sort of articulating what it means. And so one of the things that, that I proposed and I try to think of is that, and this goes back a little bit to, to Trinity Sunday too, is that we have uh, a story that actually works in three sort of ways that crisscross. It's a, it's a book that says how we're created by God. It's a book that says how we're redeemed by God. And then a book that says, how in the future will we be consummated by God? And if you keep these three, three sort of strands and look, the, you could see points in, in books where they cross over. Um, the book of Genesis, interestingly, if you read the whole thing, predominantly falls in redemption history. It's about how did the people of God get these promises and then end up in Egypt, right? But then there's that crossover where it has in the beginning. Um, the book of... Uh, let's see, um, Deuteronomy, I think, has this way in which it leans into that consummated history. What does it mean to be a people of the promised land, to be there in its fullness? Wisdom literature, and this I think is important for Ecclesiastes, also was important for Proverbs and Job, deals most with creation, which is interesting. When we think about creation as, as 21st century North American Christians, we almost always go to like, in the beginning, God's created the heaven and the earth. But a lot of that story is about how it was good, and then it turned, and then how God gets us out of the mess it turned in. There's a lot of redemptive history in that. But what I think we see in the wisdom literature, if you see the, the portions of the book of Job that talk about what creation is like, or the way in which Proverbs sees how creation is ordered in this way, or if you look at Ecclesiastes, which has this way of saying, um, I even in the passage we looked at today, uh, the poem, the winds, the land, the water, creation seems to be most um, exegited, explained for us, in wisdom literature and the frustrations and the goodness that arrives from that. Goodness being uh, maybe Song of Songs. Again, come now, Lord Jesus. Um, this I missed. I got two funny slides. Um, this one I missed last summer, and I'm, I'm so upset. Oh, man, it's small. Um, but this is uh, how we learn. So we have data. And then we have information, which is sort of coloring it in. And then knowledge is what connects all the data. And then insight is taking two data points and sort of comparing them. And then wisdom is seeing the line. But the best one, conspiracy theory. Um, uh, just, just going over it all. But I think what this points out for us is <clears throat> we have the data of creation. We fill it in with information. And then the, most of what we um, seek in uh, and sort of following our school systems and, and education today is knowledge, sort of this um, bracketing of it all into this is biology, this is science, this, that, and the other. Um, I think, funny enough, the, the world of the TED Talk might be insight. <clears throat> I took um, how trees talk to each other, I think that's a famous TED Talk, and then how we communicate with one another or something. Uh, uh, Brené Brown's, uh, what's hers on? Vulnerability, and then sort of being brave in the world. So she takes uh, disparate sort of things and puts them together and for insight. Um, but wisdom is one that's, uh, and we have 
I don't need to give any analogies for conspiracy theories. <laughs> We're still doing that one quite well. Um, but wisdom is this way that sort of sees the past that draw these things together. It, it sort of makes a, uh, a connection more obvious than just these are two pieces of data and information that seem to have connection, but sort of walks the way in which they come. This is my last part of the intro, but I, uh, I've always thought of, of thinking of these books this way. Is Proverbs is I got my bachelor's degree. I have a good idea on most things. Ecclesiastes is I got my master's degree. I know everything. Everything is meaningless. Vanity, vanity. Job is when you get your PhD and you say, I know nothing. Um, uh, I spoke once, I spoke twice, I shall speak no more is one of those famous parts from the end of the book of Job. And then Song of Songs is the summer's off. I love someone and someone loves me. Um, uh, but I think what we can see here is, is how Proverbs begins to say, I, I begin to have an understanding of how the world works. I, I know how most things are pulled together. Ecclesiastes is, is I get a master's degree in I begin to think that I know everything, how everything, and now Ecclesiastes, as, as the script goes, is not, I know everything in the good way beyond Proverbs, uh, and this happens with people who get master's degree often, um, but I know everything, and everything I knew before was a lie. Um, that's often how it turns out. Um, and then Job, um, the PhD, it comes to this point in which you're like, I found out that I know like everything about this circle in the world of knowledge, and yet the world of knowledge is so vast that I know nothing. Um, and Job confronts us in a different way than Ecclesiastes does with what, is, what does the universe mean? Because instead of just the frustratingness of it, there's something that comes, a resolve that comes on the other end. But that resolve points out that the lack of knowledge that we have Song of Songs, um, I think, acquaints us to the ways in which the loves of our lives draw us in certain ways, that, that we are drawn into this thing. And it, it reverses um, a classic description in the Old Testament, which is, uh, I shall be your God and you shall be my people. And what happens in Song of Songs is the people of God learn to say, um, you are my beloved and my beloved is mine that we've moved into relationship with God where it, in, its, in one phase, in phases and perhaps, this is the problem with this, is too linear too, but is, is that we have this relationship with God where we are claimed by God. You shall be my people. And what happens in Song of Songs, the way that the rabbis in the early church read it, is that we find ourselves actually going along with that, not just rebelling against it, even to the point where we can say, you are ours as well, God. And we move into that spot. So that's something to look forward to, um, especially after this summer in which we do uh, 12 Sundays on meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Empty, empty, everything is empty. The book of, of Ecclesiastes, which, which many people miss, is, is it's bracketed in a way. It, there's this introduction, um, which some people argue goes to all the way through 11, which is a summary of what the teacher, uh, um, oh man, Kohelet, right, Carla? 
Kohelet is the correct way. I'm going to call the, the, the teacher Kohelet for the most part. Now, some people call him Solomon. Uh, you could call him Solomon. I don't, I don't really care. Um, but but the, the word is teacher or gatherer. It, interestingly enough, in Hebrew, um, the book, or in the Hebrew Bible, the book is titled Kohelet. This is after the teacher. Um, in, in our Bibles, it's called Ecclesiastes, which is the translation of Kohelet, which I always thought of as Ecclesiastes as like, um, not a name. I thought of it as like, oh, it's a theory, it's a this. But, but Ecclesiastes is almost the name of the speaker. And, and if you're smarter than I am, you probably noticed at some point that Ecclesia is the start of it. So the church is the Ecclesia of God, uh, the called out. Ecclesiastes, it's, it's the one who convenes the speaker. Some will call him teacher. What did, what did Golden Day call him, do you remember? The congregant. Um, because, yeah, so it's Ecclesia, maybe he's one who's in the congregant. There's, there's a challenge there on what that means. But uh, Kohelet um, uh, is introduced at the beginning of the book. Um, and then the, the narrator ends the book an instruction that he was wise and it's worth listening to him, but perhaps there's more. And so most people read the book straight through and, and we miss that connection is that there's this introduction um, to what the teacher is going to say and there's a conclusion that places what the teacher says in some sort of context. It adds sort of its own narrative spin on it. It's important that that's there because the rabbis... Um, Rabbi Akiba's school and uh, I think Shimmy's school, they debated forever whether Ecclesiastes should be in their Bible at all. They debated whether it had any redemptive content. It was the followers of one of the rabbis who went out, and then Christians, by virtue of adopting that book of scriptures, too gained Ecclesiastes, but we too struggle to know what is it with Ecclesiastes? How are we to listen to this book? And it's a book... Um, we're gonna, these sermons are going to be like 12 variations on a theme because Ecclesiastes does not move that much over different course. They're all, they're all sort of going to be variations on, on the themes of the book. But um, uh, Ecclesiastes is counter-testimony. We have the testimony of how the world works and how it's good and how it was created in this way. And then we have Kohelet who speaks up and says, not so. There are good people who die young. There are old, evil people who live forever. If you grew up in Illinois, that's politicians. Um, uh, as a whole, this is not partisan with just all of them. Um, but uh, you have this way in which he begins to say, yes, but what about the people who followed the script and it failed them? What about the way in which creation has always been built into this frustrating way that we can listen and never stop listening, that we can seek in our eye just once more, that water um, from the Colorado runs and runs and runs, and yet there's still none when it reaches Mexico. Um, that like we try to fill up these things and they're never full. This frustratingness of life. So the teacher comes in, in Ecclesiastes as this counter-testimony, and it's dangerous not to listen to counter-testimony. If you silence counter-testimony, you move through the world naively. David and I, like a, a psychologist, um, 
uh, Jordan Peterson, and he talks about the Sleeping Beauty. Um, they don't invite the evil witch to the christening. And, and the idea is, is that then the daughter never knows that there's an evil witch in the world. And if you've seen the movie, that doesn't turn out well. So if canon says, if, if the collection that we have in scripture says that there is counter-testimony where this doesn't work, but we're going to silence it and not include it, then what happens is you leave, live naively and you live waiting for those broken spots where it all seems like lies and you either have to reinvigorate yourself to say, um, I'll believe through the lies and come up with some other explanation for this or you have to, to leave behind what you knew. So if you just have Proverbs uh, in its surface level way, I think there are some exceptions within Proverbs, you begin to think, well, if it doesn't work like this, what's wrong with you? You can become like Job's friends in that way to some degree, is that, is that the script didn't fail you, you failed the script. Well, I did it all right. Well, have you really thought about if you did it all right? Um, and that type of introspective probing is probably worth it to some degree, but sometimes it just fails. Sometimes things don't work. Sometimes we obey all the rules that we have, and it just doesn't lead to life for us. This is a, this is a short aside on, I think, where um, it's popular in Christian circles today, particularly my age, give or take 5 to 15 years, um, for people to be going through what they call a process of deconstruction. They're, they're questioning what they've been brought in, they're questioning what they've brought in faith. And one of the hard parts about ever talking about it is why people are doing it is never the same. So if I say, here's one theory about it, you really have to hear, here's one theory. Because I think for some people, um, it was growing up in fundamentalist controlling households <coughs> that you might even more classify as abusive that they're needing to deconstruct faith to get out of. For other people, it's actually losing faith. Um, but that because that process, I think for many people, involves mourning, loss, and regret, that, that, that it's, it's a movement just away from faith, but it's going as if maybe there's something that we can still hang on to. I think um, that's the hard part of it. But I do think there's this middle spot um, in which many people in the church were raised in the world of Proverbs. They were raised with guarantees. They were raised with scripts. And what happened for many of these people along the way of life is that the script was proven to be false in some way. And what I would say is, is that we have, have scripted Proverbs in many ways, in a way that I don't even think follows Proverbs, but is closer to idolatry. And when people find that that is failing, uh, they, they begin to sort of spin out. But it's, but it's odd to me that, that we haven't taught Ecclesiastes perhaps enough for that. This is the danger in ignoring counter-testimony. Because when things fail, it begins to think my whole thing is a lie. Um, I remember uh, an older man in my congregation, uh, his wife had died and he asked me for a book to read and I gave him a Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. Um, and it was good for him to read because he came back to me and he said, well, at least I'm not that depressed. Um, at least I'm not that, uh, and I said, I don't know. I hadn't read it in a while. I didn't know if that was what I'd take away from it. But um, uh, 
but that was what he had, he had sort of learned from it. But I think that if you were to say and to teach and to live into, which we'll try for about 12 weeks, the rest of June, July, and August, um, listen to Ecclesiastes, you might say, the script has failed me, but at least I'm not that jaded. Um, because meaningless, meaningless, utter nonsense, everything is utter nonsense. That's a dark place to go. And not only to go to that place, but to speak in a way that is later considered wisdom. See, it's, we, we, we have the culture of the catcher of the rye. Um, he speaks kind of in that way, but I think often people finish the book and it's like it's this um, teenage angst um, that's, that's caught in it. But, but Kohelet is able to speak in a way about what's empty, what's vapor, what's not working in the world, in a way that at the end of it you go, there's wisdom there. That was worth listening to. And that's the deep challenge, I think, of hearing this book. As I was talking to various people during the week, it was funny. Uh, we'd all read Ecclesiastes in our Bible in a Year plan, which is like a great way to get through it because you get right through it. Um, it's not a very long book. Um, but I'd say, it's pretty dark. It was Ray and Kim, too, at the park, and they were like, yeah, we hadn't read it in a while, but we just started getting into it this week. And it's, if you really go slow with this one, it's dark. Um, as if we weren't warned, by the way. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Um, so, uh, Hebel, uh, this word that's, that's the one that I keep saying is translated in all these different ways. Meaningless, uh, um, uh, utter nonsense, this, that, and the other. And it's going to show up uh, 38 times in the book. Um, so it's a major theme of the book. It brackets actually what Kohelet starts with saying, and the last thing he says, not the narrator, at the end of 12 is also sort of this meaningless, meaningless. It's, it's a major theme then if you can trace it from the beginning to the end of the book. Um, and yet, if you translate it certain ways, it becomes overarching. Now most scholars today will say that it is used in different ways, so it should be translated different ways throughout your reading of Ecclesiastes. It's not always used in the same ways. Some of the context, it really is the, j the jaded angst. It's all meaningless. In other of the contexts, it's more, um, it's breath. Um, interestingly enough, um, this is in a sad way, I think we come to the, the book of Ecclesiastes, is, is it's, the, um, it's, it's very closely tied to the name Abel. Um, so as if to say that first murder between brothers where a um, young person murdered and blood cries out of the ground is meaningless, meaningless. Um, and we in our own world, when we see sin, death, and destruction, uh, we may lie to ourselves and use certain passages, but it perhaps might be wise to, to follow with uh, Kohelet here and to at least have a moment for us to say, Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Um, uh, and connecting it to that, the, the death of one who, who appears to be innocent, too. Um, uh, the other, uh, Abel's, uh, Cain, uh, Cain's name, uh, uh, bought uh, to purchase. Um, there's some 
question of whether Adam and Eve are, are saying we're securing ourselves in the world with the names of their two children, too, is, is I've purchased. Like, the world's only, uh, the fallen world's only a, a couple years old, and yet they name their kids, you know, breath and, and to purchase, uh, to buy, uh, to make in the world. And you could see fallenness sort of appearing in that way. Um, there's, this is a bit of the other translations. So these are different sort of resources. Breath, vanity, idols. Vapor, breath, vanity. Breath, nothingness, perishableness. Void, idols. Idol, meaningless, breath. And, and if you want to look at the, if you can, uh, the rest of the Bible, um, this is sort of the breakup. Meaningless, this is the NIV. Um, blue, meaningless, the predominant, but have no meaning, fertility, vain, breath, worthless, um, you know, all these sort of things. But the, but the thing, the reason why I brought this thing from Kelly today, and it might be dead. Yes, it is. Um, oh, I unplugged it. Great. Um, this sermon actually has two parts. One is on meaningless, 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 and the second part is on how you too can become an essential oil salesperson. Um, which brings back us to meaningless. See, it's a circle. It's a vicious circle. You, you've got the, the essential oils and the... So it may kick on again here in a second. Um, but vapor, the problem with meaninglessness in some of the translations is, is it creates this idea in which um, we can't grasp these things. It's, they're out there. And this, or it creates uh, negative connota- very negative connotations. It's meaningless. It's pointless. It's... It's utter nonsense, this sort of this. Um, but if you, if you take vapor, if it ever starts up, maybe it won't. Oh, there's a but. Are you an essential oil salesperson? You have the vaporizer. There we go. Um, yeah. You can tell I spend a lot of time with this at home. Um, but, but the notion of vapor, of trying to grab something that's there, like, that, that what he's, he's starting his book with, Kohelet, is this idea is that we look at creation. And we try to latch on to it, make our own worlds, make our own lives, secure our own futures, follow our own scripts, all the scripts we've been given in some ways. And what it is like is it's like trying to reach for vapor. You see it's there. It's got content, and yet what happens is, as you go for it is it becomes intangible. It becomes unable for you to be able to sort of take it in. So the next thing he talks about is uh, what does it profit a man his labor under the sun? Uh, which brings us back to essential oils. What does it profit? Um, labor, um, this work of what we do and then the payoff from it. What comes from this work we do under the sun? It's vapor, vapor, vapor. It just disappears as we reach and seek to grab it. Why do people, what do people gain from their labors at which they toil under the sun? Now this under the sun phrase is an important part of this uh, opening poem. The poem sort of goes from 3 to 11. Um, what do we gain from our labors under the sun? The Kohelet is always going to see things from this under the sun sort of mindset. There are people who think that, oh, if, if he had seen from heaven, it would be better, but that's cheating. Um, you're not listening to the book if you do that. Uh, and two, um, 
it's it's coming at it from a different place in the story. You're not you're not listening to him. And and for under the sun, he's also got um, Sheol, uh, what we would maybe translate as hell, the realm of the dead. And so he's saying, when I look at the earth, all that the sun touches, here's the way it seems to work. Generations come and go, but the earth remains forever. This quote was supposed to be on the back of the bulletin, but I forgot to put it in. Um, it didn't make it up here either. Uh, it's from Jerome where he says, what's more, more a better definition of vain than that we uh, who are God's creation don't last on the earth, but the earth remains forever. Um, that generation to generation, we sort of deal with this thing. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. This is, uh, in Hebrew, has this notion in which the sun pants as it gets back to where it began. The sun tires as it goes through its course. Much different counter-testimony to the psalm that says how the sun bursts out of its chambers. Um, he sees tiredness. Um, for the uh, children of the 90s, um, the circle of life is not good news to Kohelet. Um, it's a Lion King reference. The circle of life is not good news to Kohelet. The sun pants in where it goes, and that's east and west. Um, and so he's looking at everything under the sun because the next thing he says is that the wind blows south to north. He's placing himself in sort of this full direction, east to west, um, south to north, the wind blows. And, and he, later he'll say that this life is like chasing after the wind. We just chase and chase. And round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the sea's from, there they return again. We watch mighty rivers move into reservoirs or to lakes or to the ocean. What we find is that they're never full. So too our souls, our lives, our restlessness. A phrase that I think will probably come up again and again throughout the sermon series is the one from St. Augustine, is that our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And I think Kohelet is going to nail that our hearts are restless. We are restless as we try to fill these things. All these things are wearisome more than one can say. The eye has enough, the eye never has enough of seeing or the ear of its uh, filling. That we have these ways in which we are always um, wandering. Our eye is wandering for more. Our ear can hear more and talk and talk more. Um, that we can be filled in that way. What has been will be again. What has been done will be, un will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun, one of those classic phrases. This is, I was thinking about this one this week. I was talking to my dad, and uh, he was talking about how hard it is to get into the national parks in California. And he said, I think it has a lot to do with um, selfies and Instagram. Um, and I was like, that probably has a lot to do with it. But it's funny, as, as we think about what was done will be done again, is that we created a world so saved from nature. We go to national parks and take them in. And yet one of the number one injuries that is resulting in national parks is one of the objects of our safeties, safety taking selfies and photos. I mean, if the forest rangers, this is 
kind of a joke, but very serious. Forest rangers are very, very concerned about the amount of injuries people have from trying to take selfies or to like hold their camera and walk towards the cliff of the Grand Canyon to get a good shot. Everything that's been done will be done again. We've created a safe bubble. Great, now we have a new piece of technology that walks us off the edge ourselves. What has been done will be done again. This question, look, uh, is there anyone who can say, look, this is something new under the sun, is one of those places where we, if we wanted to, can escape Valve from Ecclesiastes back into, look, I'm doing something new in the New Testament. Um, but like I said, I think it'd be wise for us to resist that, but that there is nothing new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. We get lucky sometimes. There's an Abraham Lincoln or, or a, a Julius Caesar or something like that, but like most people can't name their great-great-great-grandpa, um, myself included. Like, um, what is the name of my great-great-great-grandpa? Now, somebody did do a family tree once, and it turned out like everybody was named Thomas, so I could cheat and go, that's probably Thomas or James. Um, but point being is that we even forget the people closest to us. Nobody remembers anyone. And so this is the opening of this book. Um, this is the way in which we are brought into it by this poem in which creation is seen to be this thing that just continually frustrates us, proves that we're restless, proves that things are vapor and void. And where are we going to go from here? Each Sunday, I think I'll end, probably not with the whole thing, but a portion of it. Oh, this is, I don't know why it went to this slide, because I got a different one up here. This is a poet that says um, in their own poem, it's not true that one life is one damn thing after another. Life is the same damn thing over and over, um, which seems like a good summary of, of Kohelet's teaching. Is, is No, yeah, it's not Chesterton. Um, but yeah, it's the same... Same damn thing over and over. So let's see what slide's going to come up next. All right, this is good. This is the end of the book. Um, I, I mentioned that the book is on a frame. There's the intro and then there's the end. And this is how, if you want to picture it as a parent talking to a child at the end, the advice they give their child is, now the teacher was wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched Kohelet, to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Parent advises the child to see what was written in this book as upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're, for many of us, this book is like a goad, which is a pointy stick. Um, the words of the wise are like these pointy sticks that goad us. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Then he ends with this sort of summary. Now all has been heard. Here's the final word on the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. And what I think, as we go through this story, the good news that allows us to escape hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. The, um, 
the darkness that penetrates it. And this, is, this would be training for us to hear this as good news. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything hidden, whether it is good or evil. We look around and see life under the sun. Hevel, hevel, meaningless vapor, utter nonsense. Yet our escape, as we go through this, might be that someday these things will be called into account. Um, not all of life is seen from the vantage point under the sun. That's cheating for today. Um, uh, but what's a sermon without good news? Let's pray. God, you have invited us into a beautifully ordered and good creation. One in which wisdom, like Proverbs, wisdom we receive from our parents, wisdom that's embedded in our culture can help guide us and bring us to green pastures and good life. For many of this, these have been good rewards for following these directives. And yet, if we think all of life is simple X plus Y equals Z, we all get what we earn. Kohelet, the author of Ecclesiastes, is there to remind us how frustrating and vain it can be, how people fall along the way, how young people like uh, Abel are sacrificed in this way over greed, that it doesn't always lead to that way. Allow us to hear these words as wise and corrective as they are to our souls. That we may hear this counter-testimony, that we may not be naive and simple in the world, but that we may wake up and see how creation has both been blessed and given by you, but it lives under the curse as well. Allow us to take these weeks to hear and absorb this message so we too are not shattered in the world, but grow strong, aware of what is in it, aware of where the scripts fail, of where folly lies, unseen, so that we may mature as your son who grew in wisdom was mature in wisdom as well. May I ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.